thank you. Good morning. Good morning. I've asked our musicians to stay up here on the stage just for one minute. When my wife and I were in church a couple of Sundays ago, as you were all singing, there was an incredible harmony right across the whole church. And I just pricked up my ears like one of those little meerkats. And I realized that I was hearing not just the harmony of us singing earthly songs, voices, but I could hear the songs of angels. Amen. And I could hear the sound of unity. Psalm 133. Where you dwell together in unity, the Lord has commanded the blessing. So pray with me as we pray for our musicians. If we have other musicians sitting in the congregation and not here today, I want to pray a prayer of blessing because what they are doing is leading us into the presence of God. They lay a platform that when I get up to preach, it's just so easy. There's a unity that comes in the worship. And I love what I'm hearing in this church. I love the maturity that I see. I love an older congregation. I love a younger congregation. But I hear and feel the sound of unity. Pray with me. Lord, on these musicians, we are asking the blessing of the Holy Ghost during the week when they prepare their hearts. May they be filled with the Holy Spirit. May the Word of God come alive to them. May the healing touch of the Holy Spirit be on them. May your life shine in their words. Karen, as she's leading, Leanne, each one as they're just going through the preparation of their heart. Lord, like today, it's just been such a unity of thought, such a thoughtfulness of your Spirit. We're glad that you look at us and you love us. And we pray a blessing in Jesus' name on every musician and on this church. May we see worship songs coming out of this congregation, people writing new songs, and they're going to go to the ends of the earth. Hillsong had its day when they sent it everywhere. But I'm praying that God will just put a blessing on this church and he'll raise up song leaders and songwriters. Would you believe with me on that one? I believe it. Thank you, musicians. I appreciate you. God bless you and thank you. I'm due to preach next Sunday night, the 18th. I'll be sharing a slide presentation just for a few minutes on our climb up Mount Sinai. And you're welcome to come and see that. It's not a long one, just a short one to show you what we uh, experienced. And as I'm getting ready for preaching all this week, there are two messages ticking over and over in my heart. And I'm getting frustrated. You know what it's like to get frustrated and you, you don't hear from God clearly. And I'm frustrated at the lack of clarity. And I thought, well, Lord, I'll leave it with you. And I'm sure you'll make it clear. I won't push you. I've learned that if you're pushing God, you're not listening. And you're not looking right. Yesterday morning at 9 o'clock, Leanne rings up and says, would you like to preach on Sunday morning, Paul? And I said, yes, I'm ready. I've got two messages and we'll have one tomorrow, this morning and we'll have the next one next Sunday night. And I think it's unusual how God leads, but I always think it's good. Now, let's go to our slide, please, Zach. Uh, thank you for your help. Bless our guys on the sound. If you've never said thank you, whenever you're going out sometimes, say thank you. They do a great job. And <laughs> If you're an Apple Mac person, you'll notice that when you go onto your web at the moment, they're pushing a thing called Vision Pro, and it says, welcome to the area of spatial computing. And you navigate simply by using your eyes, your hands, and your voice. That's what's coming in early 2024. 
Unfortunately, not quite in Australia yet. You put on these amazing glasses, they've got a 3D, and when you do it, it's like you step into the space and you are actually interacting with it. It's amazing, way beyond what we've even thought possible years ago. But I want to tell you something. God, 3,500 years ago, beat Apple to the punch. And my message today, second slide, you are invited to look. And I want to speak about Abraham's four looks. I was reading through the book of Genesis as I was getting ready, and it struck me that Abraham, when he first was speaking to the Lord, God said to him, I want you to look up, lift up your eyes. Now the girls who come from Lilia House, if you're hearing this morning, I want you to realize that some of the words I'll speak today are for you particularly, because where you look determines what you're going to be. Lift up your eyes, he said, look north, look south, look east, look west, and all that you see, what will I do? I will give it to you. And I'll talk about that particular look in just a moment. So you're invited to look, and we're going to look at Abraham's four looks. You'll find them in your Bible if you wish to follow, otherwise the scriptures will be up on the uh, graphics for you. Now, first of all, when God tells you to look, one of the problems that most of us do is because we are so sin-conscious, so self-conscious, and so sore-conscious, we look down and we look inside. You know the New Age? What do they tell you to do? Look at your navel and say, um. <laughs> the devil, next slide, looks within and down. Salvation looks up and out. Now, there are three things you shouldn't look at, look at. I hope you like my sense of humor with the basking shark and the diver who's suddenly just about to look down. I'm telling you what you should not look at. Number one, do not look at yourself. Otherwise, you'll never do anything for God. And you'll only ever say, every time you come to pray, Lord, I am not worthy. Well, I know we're not worthy. But if you keep looking at your unworthiness, you will never, ever achieve anything for God. Numbers 21.8. Did anybody ever see the trailer for the, uh, that wonderful video, the film they're doing on the life of Jesus? And they show a man in a forge and he's hammering out a piece of brass like this. And Joshua walks in and he said, Moses, what are you doing? And Moses takes the piece of brass, bent and twisted, and he said, I am making a serpent. And he said, but that's not godly. And he said, this is not about a serpent, it's about what you see. Nail it up onto the, bar, uh, the, the, the post, and he that looks shall be healed and saved. If you keep looking at yourself, you will always take your eyes off Christ. So I'm asking you this morning, look with me at what God is telling you to look at. I'll come to those in a moment. Second thing you should not look at is your sins. If you keep looking at your sins you'll always feel like you're never welcome into God's presence. But if you look at the book of Micah, he said, I have forgiven your sins and I have thrown them, where? Into the depths of the sea. How deep is the sea? The Mariana Trench, they found one a little bit deeper even now, that if you stuck the Empire State Building in, there would still be twice as much room sitting up on top. It's thousands of feet deep and he takes a picture 
throw your sins into your sea. In fact, one expression in the book of Hebrews is when God says, I have placed all your sins behind my back. Literally in the Hebrew, it comes up, I have placed them between my shoulder blades. I have a skinny cousin when I was a boy of 13, and she was so skinny that she could touch her elbows behind her back like that. But I defy anybody in this meeting this morning to look behind your shoulder blades. I have put your sins where I cannot see them. Let me have a digression. This is not in uh, our message. Once upon a time in the uh, Polynesian Islands, there was a Catholic church, and the priest was troubled because in the lady was in the congregation was a lady who kept telling things and seeing things, and she had what the Irish would call the gift of sight. You, anybody know the expression? But in Christian sense, and he was so disturbed by it, he thought, "I'm going to call up my bishop, and I'm going to ask him what I should do." And this bishop was a wise and godly old man. And if you're a Catholic out there, God bless you. There's some wonderful people in the Catholic Church, despite all the other stuff. So please don't lose me on this one. And the bishop said to him, well, I have a very simple test. I want you to tell the lady who's seeing all these things and speaking words of prophecy, I want you to tell her, I, as the bishop, when I was a very young man studying for the ministry, committed some very bad sins. And I want you to ask her, what does God tell you about them? The priest took this back to the lady. The lady prayed about it and came back to the priest. The priest came back to the bishop. And the bishop said, what did she say? And the lady said, I asked God about your sins. And he said to me, what sins? I forgot. And the bishop said, she's good she's safe. How's that? When you get up to prophesy, you speak to lift up, build up, and look up. When I was in the Solomons, I had to preach to a Bible college where people, the students were not first English speakers. And I was teaching them about the gift of prophecy. And of course, the King James says, he that speaks in a word of language, or if he speaks in an unknown tongue, or prophesies, speaks unto edification, exhortation, and comfort. And I looked at this young congregation of people who couldn't speak English well, and I said to the Lord, give me a word of wisdom. How do I get across to them something that is simple English? And I had a flash of inspiration. And I said to them, when you prophesy, you lift up, you look up, and you build up. They're the parameters of prophecy. And you can see the lights are switched on everywhere. When Winston Churchill spoke to the nation of England in the middle of the war, he said, I have nothing to offer you but blood, sweat, and tears. And he got up and he said, well, I've got nothing to offer you. And he gives the Latin translation of the words. I wrote it down, but I've long since forgotten. He would have lost them. But people respond to simple, guttural, Anglo-Saxon, Saxon, down-to-earth English. And today... I'm going to tell you, don't look at your source. That's the third one. The scripture is Luke chapter 10. Luke 10 is the parable of the Good Samaritan. It's in the wilderness. It's on the road from Jericho to Jerusalem. They go downhill. Always not a good sign when the parable says he's going down. And as 
he goes down the road, he gets captured by thieves, he gets smashed, he gets beaten, and the Bible says they left him half dead. Hemi Thanos. Hemi, half, Thanos, Thanatos, death. And he's lying on the side and he's bleeding out. And the good Samaritan comes by. What does he do? He pours in the oil and the wine, puts him on his donkey, puts him in the inn. You know the story well enough. And says to the innkeeper, look after him, I'll pay the bill when I come back next time. If he had stayed on the side of the road, looking at his half-dead wounds, he would have died where he was. And I want you to realize that you have been wounded at some point in life. In fact, there's hardly a person here who at some point hasn't been betrayed or wounded. I used to think it possible that when I got into the ministry, one of my fellow brethren said, that I would get wounded in the work of the Lord. I used to think it was possible. Now, he said, I realize it is inevitable. Cheer up after that little thought. <laughs> you can't go through life without getting wounded and having some kind of sores. But if all your focus is on the inside looking down and in, you'll always see somebody said this. I have a family member who every time you see her goes right over the... It never stops. She's trapped at the point where she was wounded and she cannot take her eyes off her wounds. So every time you see her, it's a litany of pain and unforgiveness. And the moment you realize that God says to you, don't look at your sins, your sores, and... Tell me again. Good, all three of them. Now, let's look at Abraham's first look. Are you ready? Abraham. Lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are. He looks across the plain of Sodom and Gomorrah that Lot took, and he can't have them. But he looks at the promised land, and he says, I will give this to you and to your seed. The first look, Abraham, establishes where he's going to be. Some of you have been searching where do you fit in your church? Where do you fit what congregation do you go to? So if you're online, let me just give you a word of encouragement for all those listening. Fit, don't flit. Remember the story of Proverbs where it said, a swallow flies dashing to and fro, and like a swallow wandering, so is a man or a woman who does not know where the home is. Fit, don't flit. And he said to Abraham, I'm telling you, this is where you're going to be. God has spoken over some of your lives and said that you are going to be this. Some of you may be called to be one of the five ascension gifts, prophet, pastor, teacher, evangelist, etc. Some of you are called to be other gifts. Others have had words of prophecy spoken over you. But God has described your boundaries and your parameters. And you need to look at that rather than what you've seen in your past. If you keep thinking like Jeremiah... When he's called by God, God said to him, Jeremiah, do not keep saying, I am a child, for I'm going to send you. Now, I'm going to say this more to the congregation. If you keep saying, I'm looking back, that's what I was, I couldn't stay, you know. But look at me. I was a boy brought up in an alcoholic family, a bipolar mother, an alcoholic father. And I was so shy and so quiet, I'd be goofy shy. You know, you go silly when you, you can't speak. And when I got into college, uh, into high school, when I would speak, I would speak like this. My clenched Queensland jaw said I was locked up inside. So now I can open wide and sound like an American. 
But God had to work through me and heal me. And if you keep looking back to what you were and you keep saying, I'm a child, God can't use you. Stop saying, I'm a child. Abraham, I want you to look at the land that's God put in front of you and I want you to describe it. And you're going to see right up. He couldn't see the river Euphrates, but that's the promise God gave him, right down to the Nile River in Egypt. And he said, all of this is yours and I'm going to make you a father and that's the kind of promise I've got. How would you like a promise like that? Amazing. Look number one, it establishes your place and what you should be. It's the locational look. It's the, I don't fit here. Lord, where do I fit? And when you seek God and he speaks to your heart and life, that's what you should speak over your life. Okay, we're going to go to look number two. This is Abraham. Abraham, look now towards heaven and count the stars. Tally up the stars. I love this picture. It's an amazing picture of the pre-incarnate Jesus standing beside Abraham and saying, look, look at the stars. Can you count them? Mm -mm. But he says, so shall your seed be. One of the things that you need to do in your life is to look at what God says about your potential. If you look back on your past, you'll only see failure. If you look at what God says, now I was going to put on here, now look to, towards heaven and look toward the stars, but that would have a totally different meaning today. Look toward heaven and see what God has said about your life. I don't care how old you are, I don't care how young you are, just look to what God says about you and what potential you have. And the look of potential, it's what God has made you to be. If you could see what you would be like in eternity, and you could see what you would be like 10,000 years from now, if I can put time into eternity, you would be so changed, so like Christ, greater than the angels, and if you were here right now in that state that you would be, we would be tempted to fall down and worship you. That's how changed you'll be. And if you can see the potential that God has over your life, no matter what fractures you've got, God can take anything and make it for good. I think that the potential that God has for you is greater than your own life. I want to take a moment on this one. If the Lord does not come back during your lifetime, what kind of legacy are you going to leave? My mother-in-law, God bless her dear heart, she's with the Lord. She said, I don't want to die. I want to be raptured. I want to be caught up with the Lord. But God didn't answer a prayer. And at 92, was it love? Passed away. 94. And she went to be with the Lord. God may not always ask you when he's going to come back. Surprise. And if he doesn't come back, your great task, like Abraham, is to look at the stars, and I mean that in the godly sense, look at your potential and see that God has made you to have an impact that is greater than your present generation. And I'm going to ask you, what kind of legacy are you going to leave your children and your grandchildren if the Lord does not come back in our time? I'd love to think the Lord's coming back soon. The way the mess is at the moment over in the Middle East, at the moment, 
there's a huge battalion of soldiers coming up on the Ukraine border, and there's a huge battalion of Russian shoulders, soldiers coming down to the same border. It looks like it's going to be one of the greatest battles since World War II. But if you put your eyes on that, you wouldn't do anything. You would freeze your life, and you would forget that if the Lord doesn't come back, we shall occupy till he comes. I love the preaching in this church from Pastor Darren because he's down to earth and sensible. If the Lord's coming back and we get raptured first, fine, I'm more than ready. If he's not and he's coming back after the tribulation, well, God will give me grace to get through it. But either way, in the meantime, prepare. And don't argue too much about pre-trib, mid-trib and post-trib. Just have a happy harmony in your life. I thought I had it all sorted out once. Thought I had it all sorted out once when I was Bible college and we had arguments in the boys' dormitory about, but, uh, well, we lost our sanctification in the argument and I, I think the Lord's coming back. <laughs> Look number three. Look number three. Abraham was sitting in the tent in the heat of the day and he lifted up his eyes and he looked and he saw three men. I put capital M on their men. Some people think it's the, the Trinity. Look number three helps you see God rather than your circumstances and your situations and wrong and evil. When you look at God, you find that he has a new, no, a new name. Do you know we, we sang it this morning? Did you notice that we sang that God was judge in one of our choruses. Anybody notice that? My little possum ears pricked up again. And this is what Abraham sees. He lifts up his eyes and he sees three men. And they say, Abraham, we're going to Sodom and Gomorrah and we're going to judge that community. And what does this wily, wonderful old Jewish gentleman, he's long before they were called Jews, he haggles with God. And he whips him down from 50 to 40 to 30 to 20 and finally God says enough I'm leaving if you're going to find 10 I'll spare the city you know that boggles my mind that God would have spared a whole city all plains all the three or four cities in the plain if he could have found 10 and you know he found 8 and lacked but 2 do you realize in your community your part and what you do depends on what you look at and how you see God and sometimes the judgment in your community depends on what you see. If all you're looking at is the news, God have mercy if all you're looking at is the news. I said to my wife, I've had enough. Don't want to know any more gloom. Don't want to know any more doom. Switch it off. I'm going to read. I'm going to pray. And so I'll sneak off to my room at half past seven. I've had enough of the gloom and the doom. In fact, let me give you a little thought. I think that when God does the replay, you are going to see that he was so much in control that there was so much good going on and so many people getting saved, we will never ever know about it on the news because the media is part of the satanic world system. So don't base your opinion of the world on what you see on the news. I'd all uh, go, keep it hari kari, put poison in my communion cup and have my last Sunday with you. Trust the Lord. He's doing more. My Father worketh now and I work. And hitherto I am working. And across this world, do you know more people are coming to Christ in the Muslim world? Let me tell you a simple statistic. There are 75,000 75, mosques in Iran. And only 25,000 have an active congregation. 
they have closed 50,000 mosques in Iran because people are tired of what they see. And all because that lady had a headscarf and she got killed for it. And they have rebelled against the clerics in Iran. Will the media tell you that? They will not tell you that, but I'm telling you that God is working. They're coming to Christ through dreams and visions. And so God appears to Abraham and he says, look up and I'm going to show you something. And then he takes him through after he's been whittled down to 10 people. In the middle of it, Abraham says something that I want you to probably see as the greatest phrase I've ever come across in the Bible. God. It is far from you to destroy the wicked with the righteous. Shall not the judge of the whole earth do right? So I want to give you two thoughts on this. Our next slide, please. If you have the look that Abraham has here, you'll see God is judge, and you'll see him as a righteous judge, and he will give you the right perspective on your life. In the book of Psalms 139, some of you have been worried about what you look like. Some of you still haven't come and reconciled with the fact and here you are in your 60s, 70s and 80s and you still wish you looked different. Hello. Psalm 139, verse 15. When I was in the womb and I was being fashioned, I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the womb. It's a tapestry term. It's embroidered. I was embroidered, I was in tapestry. And have you ever looked at the underside of a tapestry, ladies? Have you seen the mess of threads that are there? Who would ever think that when you look at this mess from the underneath, who would ever think it'd come out like a crown like this? Corrie Ten Boom loved this poem. Let me quote it to you. She said, Oft times God weaves in sorrow, and I in foolish pride forget. God sees the upper, and I the underside. So when you look at the tangled threads of your life, ladies and gentlemen, don't judge it by the threads. One day God's going to tidy it up so much that you're going to have a crown instead of a mess of threads like that. If you see God as righteous judge, you will make the right decisions about your life. You won't say, God, I've got a big nose. Why did I get a big nose? I got the wrong shape. You could blemish God. But God says, thank God you were wrought in secret and one day you're going to look like Jesus you're going to be so different you're going to look at me if I get up to preach in heaven I'm going to have a full head of hair you're going to stand up on your feet you'll have a no wheelchairs you'll throw away your crutches you will be like Jesus made you to be and then the second thing that happens when you see God as righteous judge our next slide it changes your perspective on life and on wrong and on evil. I cannot answer for you why things go wrong. One of the hardest funerals I ever took was a young child in that church, young Christian couple. And when the child was born, he lived for five days. And the hardest funeral I've ever taken in my life was when the undertaker walked in at the back of the church and he had in his hands a shoe-sized box. And that, that was the coffin. The place just absolutely broke. I can't answer that, but I do know that God is a righteous judge. And that if I look at God as the righteous judge, the Shafat in Hebrew, he shall do right. And one day every mess that we see is going to be sorted out. And it doesn't get sorted out here, God will make it right in the days to come. Let me give you a syllogism 
for all you English scholars, a syllogism is you make a statement and then it has a corollary. Syllogism. If your first look is at God and his character, you will make the right conclusions about man, pain and problems. But if your first look is at man, evil and problems, you are going to make the wrong conclusions about God and his nature and your future. So that's why God said to Abraham, I'm going to show you something about my nature that is different to what everybody else sees. And he shows him that he is God, the righteous judge. So look at your life and you'll see that everything that's ever happened, God is going to take and turn around. I think, in fact, God is so big, he can even take your mistakes and turn them around for good. So Joseph said to his brethren, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. And when you're in jail and you've been framed for rape and you've forgotten, it would be really hard to say God meant it for good. But come ahead 20 years and he sees, I was chosen by God to go into a jail, into a uh, deep pit in the ground, be sold into slavery, but God used it for good. So if you've gone through a tough time, I want you to see God is a good God and you cannot accuse him of evil. How many enjoyed seeing um, Pastor Steve Ciccolati? We had some time ago, we spoke on justice and God being just and right and they're all sicknesses of the uh, devil. And then the following couple of weeks, we had Bill Ebenbrock came and he said that God healed him through the instrument of hospitals and that. There's two opposites. Let me give you one in the middle. Now, this is not in my notes. This is free of charge. Sometimes God will not answer all your questions. We live in a sin-cursed world. We live in bodies where Paul says our outward frame is perishing, but the inward man is being renewed day by day. Some of us are in different stages of decay. Sorry. Some of us are starting to blossom. But whatever stage you're at, God is still in control. And there's always a balance with healing. So I'd like to give you a little bit of a balance here. How many people here know how Elisha died? Everybody know how Elijah died? How? Taken up in a fiery chariot? How did his disciple, who had twice as many miracles and saw so much so that even when he was dead and in the ground, they threw a man into the pit and the man touched the bones of Elisha and the guy came alive. Well, Elijah, Elisha was still dead. How many of you know how he died? If you go to the book of Kings, you'll read this very little phrase tucked away in the Old Testament where it says, Elisha died of the sickness of which he died. Isn't that really encouraging? <laughs> Why am I saying that? Because there's always a balance between the majesty of God's healing and the inexplicability of our death and dying. And God is even bigger than that. God is so big that he overrules death. Death, where is your sting? And when he, Christ, died on the cross and beat the devil, he overtook all of the works of darkness and he beat death. Can somebody die before their time? Oh, have you read your Bible? In the book of Kings, there's a king called Abijah. And he has a little boy who's probably about 12 years of age. 
and he gets sick. And as he's going through his sickness, the king says to his wife, go and see the prophet Ahijah and ask him, is he going to recover? And Ahijah says to the lady coming in disguised, come in, the wife of Jeroboam. The moment you get home and you walk through the door, your boy is going to die. And the phrase, I don't want you to stop just there because otherwise you go out of here really full of faith. He says, God took him because he alone of all of Israel had some good in him. So I say, God always balances intention and the answer is not to go to one extreme or the other extreme, but to keep them in total balance. God is so big that he could take a 12-year-old boy before his time. Now, that's not faith building if you're young and 12, but if you look back on your life, I have a friend, I think I mentioned it to you once before. I'll say it again. His older brother was electrocuted at the age of 19 in an industrial accident and killed him on the spot. And his younger brother, who's been good friends with me in the ministry for many years now, said to me, I would puzzle about this. I would come to the terms where I'd say, God, you are the judge of the whole earth, you shall do right. But I never, ever quite understood why. And I always ask God, God, why did you take Keith so young? And you know the fascinating thing that happened? A few years later, he got baptized in the Holy Spirit. And when he's getting filled with the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues, he suddenly has a revelation from the Lord. And the Lord said to him, I took him while he was still mine. Listen, I took him while he was still mine. Now, I don't know whether it does your theology, it scrambles mine, but all I know is that my theology is not big enough to handle God. And if I'm an atheist, my atheism is so small, I can't comprehend a God that's so big he can handle everything and know everything and do everything. So look your eyes look and see and what you'll find is something very special happening this is a story of the next one Abraham's fourth look we're coming towards an end you know the story Abraham goes up to Mount Moriah he's got his son he puts him on the altar <laughs> by the way uh, this is an Italian artist and he's driven a lovely wooden bench <laughs> uh, it was an altar made of stones rough Abraham puts him on the altar because God has said to him give me the thing that you love the most and tell me whether you still love me Abraham it says in the book of Hebrews said I don't know why God's asking me this but even if he is dead I believe he will be resurrected that's how strong Abraham's faith was because when he looked he saw and at the crucial Cecil Beatty Mill moment He's got the knife up in the air and he's about to plunge it into young Isaac. By the way, Isaac is how old? He's 33. A picture of Jesus Christ, the father and the son. And as he puts up his hand ready to plunge the knife, God says, stop! Don't kill the lad. Now I know that you love me more than anything. Well, see, an atheist doesn't know what to do with this. He says, what kind of butcher is God? When you see it from God's point of view, Abraham sees God in a brand new light. And guess what it says? Abraham lifted up his eyes. This is his fourth look. And he looked. 
And guess what he sees? He looked up and behind. And behind him, he sees in the thicket, you can just see it there. You can see a ram, little in the shadows. Uh, forget about the angel's wings. Is He sees two things. He looks up and he looks behind him. Now, I want to do a little bit of a preacher's thing. I'm going to extrapolate this. He meets God as Jehovah Jireh, which means the Lord sees and will provide. Literally, we have you ever told anybody, uh, go and see to it, will you, Sam? That's exactly what this phrase means. The Lord will see and he will see to it. He'll look after you. He'll supply what you need. And he finds Jehovah Jireh, a new revelation of God. So he's met God as judge. He's met him as the one who now calls himself Jehovah Jireh. And I think one of the things that you can trust when God works in your life, just like this, with that fourth look, he sees Jehovah Jireh and he sees two things. He looks up and he sees God saying, don't touch the boy. He looks behind him and he sees a ram. Now, here's what I'm going to do with this as a preacher. I'm going to mess up. Sometimes you need to look behind you to see Jehovah Jireh. Look back on your past and you will probably see that God has provided more for you than you ever thought possible. And when you look forward and you see God, you will see that he is well able to provide for you. And you'll see Jehovah Jireh is the God of your future. And he's the God of your justice. And he's the God who's going to describe your territory. And he's going to do everything that he ever promised you. Now, we're going to come to the last, and I'm going to do a quick review. And then we're coming to the end of our unexpected message. Let's go to the next one. Abraham has four looks. I want you to think about your life and see whether you have looked like this. Number one, he looks at the promised land and he finds where he fits. Number two, he looks to the heavens and he finds his legacy and his future that was long, long, long after his lifetime. He looks at the judge and he finds a right perspective, the judge of the whole earth shall do right. Job said, though he slew me, finish it for me, I will still trust him. How's that for a statement? You're covered with boils and sores, your friends have left you, they've talked you into the ground, you can't hear any more from them, you don't want to know about them. But he said, look, even if God slew me, I would still trust him. And then he looks up and behind and he finds a provision. So my thought for you is this, if you, like Abraham, will look at your life, use God's perspectives, it'll change your belief system and it'll make your faith unmovable. So that if we have a funeral in this church, you won't be saying, oh God, he's dead. You'll be saying, he's been promoted. Death is just a passage. Into I've been reading, uh, in conclusion, a wonderful book by Marie Edsworth Etta, one of the revivalists of the 1800s. And she describes how many times in her congregation people would just be smitten by God and drop down almost as if they were dead. And others would go into a trance. And at other times, in the middle of a meeting, she would suddenly get caught up in the spirit and she'd do this. And she'd be frozen there for 20 minutes. God, bring those happy days again. And in the middle of it, she said, people had visions of heaven and hell and what it was like 
to go to be with the Lord and their perspective changed. They looked at what God saw. And if you could see what God has ahead for you, in our congregation, people online, some of us will go to be with the Lord in a shorter time than others. But if you look at eternity from God's point of view, it is but a step into a new faith in God and a new relationship. I don't know what it will be like. I can understand what the Bible says about it. And I love when I read some of the visions of heaven and hell. But I do know that if I see God, I won't be troubled. What the old boys say in the old, um, in the old days, they used to say, when I go through the swelling of the Jordan, uh, and they use crossing the Jordan as a symbol of dying. Let us thank God that the looks in your life will change you. And I encourage you this morning, not just to look at your circumstances, not to look at your past, not to look at your sins, not to look at what you've been, but look at God, completely good. Are you ready to pray a risky prayer? Well, okay, are you ready to pray? Lord, thank you for this congregation. I thank you for each one that's here. I thank you for the unity. I thank you for the old and the young. I thank you for everyone in between. I thank you when we look at you, Lord, you are in charge. When we turn our eyes on Jesus and you look full in his wonderful face, you are in complete charge and you are the God of the impossible. You are Jehovah Jireh and we give you all our needs. At a time, Lord, when our society is going through a pinch point and poverty is around and rates change and we can trust God that he is Jehovah Jireh and he will provide. God who loves the widows and the orphans. Lord, we lift our heart to you and thank you for the word of God this day that teaches us, look up. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.